The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on March 8, 2020 by Pastor Caleb Kerbis on the basis of Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So if somebody put the glass in front of you and the water came up right to about the midway point, what would the correct answer be to that ongoing question? I mean, you know the classic answers. There's the half-empty pessimist who only sees what's not there all the way full, and then there's that grateful, appreciative optimist who is so appreciative because of what already is there. And this question may seem kind of overtly simple and maybe even silly, but it often becomes a lens through which we view much of the world and even the people closest to us. I'll tell you about a friend of mine back home that I was talking to recently, and he was having some marriage issues, and he was talking about these things that he's working through with his wife, and he says, Caleb, what do I do if, uh, if my wife is kind of a glass, half-empty kind of a gal? And I said, well, friend, name to be excluded, maybe you shouldn't admit that because she married you? Probably, you should probably first stop saying that to people. But really, this is a way that we view even, even the relationships that matter the most to us. And maybe to borrow a play from the playbook of psychologists, what if we were to look at this simple and even silly scenario of a glass half empty or full a little bit differently and even a little bit more deeply? When doing this type of therapy, they will try to, psychologists will try to help their patients, their clients to view what's going on behind the glass. They call it transference, to to transfer the focus beyond, behind what is right there in front of them in order to see reality more honestly, more clearly. So go back to the glass for a second. Maybe Maybe it is just a normal day and you might be having a bad day at that. But let's say this little boy who's really cute and bright eyes comes up to you and hands that glass. Are you really going to say the glass is half empty? Or maybe it's a hot, dry day and you come inside and there's a middle-aged man who hands you the glass across the counter and you are parched and you are thirsty and the faucet is running behind him and the glass is half full. Wouldn't you kind of think like, hey, buddy, fill, fill up the glass Looking behind the glass to reality helps us see reality more clearly. In fact, it helps us identify the problem, the scenario we are in. Psychologists will do this in what they call cognitive behavioral therapy, to transfer their focus. And this is maybe really important for, for believers especially because faith by its very nature is only optimistic in the God who controls all things and wants what is best for us, right? And we don't have to be pessimists to know that this world has forever been a wandering wasteland of a wilderness, a dry desert, life leaving us so parched, so empty, so unsatisfied. But God is able to give us all that we need and more, right? But that doesn't always happen, so... There come the questions of why and how and when, O Lord, and how long. At my church in North Carolina, we are walking through the very same series and focus as are you here. And we are seeing how Jesus knows fully and understands completely the mess that we are in, but he doesn't walk away or wander away from us. Instead, he steps right into us. And that means he knows the type of wilderness we are in in this world. He knows that life leaves us so often thirsting and wanting more, and we are unsatisfied. 
And God, who is able to give us all that we would need and more, wants to give us more than just some water that will quench our thirst for a time, as you heard in our children's message, right? But how and where and when does he give it? That is why we are going to look more deeply into the sermon lesson for today from Exodus chapter 17. We, so often in life, are wandering just like these people of Israel in the wilderness, But as we look more closely at this text, we are going to see that instead of looking at the glass that is half anything, look instead and focus in faith to the one who is behind it and above it all. I invite you to have that lesson open from Exodus chapter 17. Now, people don't just end up in the wilderness out of nowhere. God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and so he was going to bring them out to the promised land just as he had said. So through Moses' message and the pummeling plagues, Pharaoh let God's people go, but then he changed his mind and came after them. They were standing on the shore of the Red Sea, and they were terrified, doubting God, and yet despite their fears, God brought them safely on dry ground through the Red Sea, and when Pharaoh's army pursued them, he caused the sea to go back to where it would sit, washing away that threat. God's people saying, Exodus 15, it was awesome, but then there started this pattern where God would save his people and then they would doubt and he would warn them, maybe even discipline them, but then would save them ultimately. They were thirsting. Same thing happened. They were hungry. He brought manna and quail out of nowhere. And now he brought them to waterless Rephidim at the beginning of our lesson. And do you think that they had a right to be thirsty? Maybe you've been there. A long, hot summer's day, You've been working outside, maybe exercising, and what you wouldn't give for a glass of water. Imagine wandering with everyone around you and everything, and there's dust that's getting in your face. Sand has a way of finding its way everywhere. The path is cracked. The landscape is barren. It just kind of makes you smack your tongue against the roof of your mouth because you can understand quite easily how if you were in their sandals, you would want some water too. And yet extreme scenarios have a way of not just bringing out some thirst, but bringing out the true character of people. Not the best, but the worst. You see in two ways in our lesson how these people were testing God, how the thirst that they needed to be quenched did not help them in their relationship with God, but actually highlighted their plight internally all the more. You see that first in what they said. There is this complaint, this grumbling that they levy against God. Now in the Old Testament Hebrew, there is a word more commonly used for complaining or grumbling, but that's not the word that's used here. The root actually is seen later when God calls this place Meribah. This is like a lawyer that is leveraging his case against someone else. This is not just a whining. This isn't just little kids wanting a snack or some drink from mom or dad or their father in heaven. This is them pointing their lawyerly index finger at God and accusing him of holding out on them. It is as if they are looking at the glass that they have been giving and are accusing God of leaving it empty and it should be brimming over. As one author put it, this is what caused them to be testing God. Because to test God means that you are trying to coerce him to prove that he is good, despite all the evidence that he has already given them. That is why over and over again, God says, do not test, do not test. And yet they did and did and did. It is seen in what they say. It is also seen in what they don't say. In our lesson, as you take a look at it, where do they pause and pray? Where do they 
take a moment and say, Lord, we thank you for everything that you've given us thus far. This quail that literally appeared last night out of thin air. Lord, we thank you for bringing us through the reds, despite all the evidence, all the plagues, the fact that he opened up the ocean to save them, despite all of that, what you do not see in any of their words or their actions is faith that trusts in the God who is above and beyond it all. Instead, as you heard last week, they are following in the footsteps of our great, great, great grandparents, Adam and Eve, who, based on what they saw, accused God of holding out on them. And maybe the first question I have for you is, does the shoe still fit today? What is it? I know it's tr- what, it's, what, what it takes for me, but maybe it's different for you. What does it take for you before you find yourself in your own version of your own wilderness? What does it look like for you when you're parched and not just literally thirsty, but in your heart and in your mind and yes, in the depths of your soul, you feel like something is legitimately missing? Do you know what that looks like for you? For the people that I most commonly talk to, and especially for myself, it looks like this. It looks like me gazing a little bit too long at the things that I don't have. The house that I don't live in. The job that I don't have. What neighbors have that I don't have. Can you relate? The salary that you don't make? The physical health that you might not have as others do? Meanwhile, maybe some of us are keeping the doctors in business? with appointments after appointments. And this is not to say in any way, shape, or form that looking at what you do not have is sinful. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm inviting you to unwrap, however, is that these first steps lead us to wonder who alone can give it and why he doesn't. And that too easily becomes the source of some testing, does it not? When we look at all that God can give, but it seems like at the end of the day when so much is missing, when so much is hurting, when so much is lacking, and when we are thirsting even to the depths of our heart, that, that God is like that man who hands us the glass that's right at the midway point and behind him the faucet is running and running and running and why can't he just give us more right here and now? And, and to take this to its logical extension, this becomes ironic in a hurry because so easily we, according to our humanness, look for the things in this world to f- quench that thirst, to satisfy our desires. And it is ironic when you pause and think about it and, and take a step back to, to look to this world, which causes us to be thirsty in our souls and in our hearts, to quench the thirst that it's created, that just doesn't make sense. And yet more health and experience and wealth is only going to make us more and more thirsty. Take a look at the woman at the well, the, the love and the approval, the attention, the affirmation that she was after. She was after in all the wrong places and it left her empty and unsatisfied, thirsty and longing for more. It is no wonder that Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed, we would say happy, even content are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not might, they will be filled. No amount of stuff or fluff will ever be enough for your life, for your heart, for your soul. That is why God and God alone can fill the greatest longings of our heart, can quench the thirst of our soul. St. Augustine, a church pillar from the 4th century, put it this way. When I'm behind myself and I kind of see the back of myself, I'm okay. But if I kind of have this outer body experience and take a good, honest look from the front of myself, at myself, I'm not okay because I see myself for all that I am. Did God make this world a wilderness? 
Did God make our hearts to thirst, to be filled with sin that leaves us parched and empty? No, it is we who have done that to ourselves. So can you first transfer your focus and honestly assess where you stand and where your heart tries to quench its thirst? And maybe the next question is, can you transfer the focus behind and beyond it all to see where God is standing in all of this? Notice what God says to Moses. He says, go and stand in front of them. And then he says, I will go before them at Horeb and I will stand before them. And the Lord who stands before them and the Lord who stands before you and me today in his word does not stand before us to curse or to condemn, but to comfort and console and even quench the thirst of our hearts that we could never do for ourselves. Do you see where the Lord is in this? Where is the Lord standing when he's at the well in Samaria? Is he standing there pointing a lawyer-like finger at this woman who is trying to quench her thirst in all the wrong places? No, he stands before her and he alone can give her water that wells up inside of her that lasts to everlasting life, not to condemn her. I mean, could you imagine what five ex-husbands would have caused people to say about this woman? And even the guy she was with wasn't willing to put a ring on it. And yet, despite what everyone said, he forgives her. And by faith, she becomes a daughter of the eternal King of heaven. Where is the Lord in this lesson, my friends? He is standing before you because he has already gone through this wilderness ahead of you. You heard about that last week, right? In the gospel lesson from Matthew 4. Satan tempts Jesus. And what does Jesus say? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He is quoting this very example because in Deuteronomy 6, he goes on to say, like you did at Massah, Meribah, like you did at these places. Jesus was the child in the wilderness that neither Israel nor you nor I could ever be, perfectly walking in all of the steps and fulfilling every demand of our Father in heaven so that his life would stand in our place, <laughs> never pandering after the matters of this world, never trying to quench his thirst with, with stuff that, that's never going to work. Where is Jesus? Where is your Savior in this lesson? He is standing before you, to give you the very things that will get to the bottom of the problem, the bottom of your heart, the bottom of your soul, greater than just some kind of wooden staff that would strike a rock and water would flow is a greater wooden object, the cross that would stick in Golgotha's knoll. And on there, the Savior would hang to pay for every sin you have committed and mine. The sins of thirsting after the matters of this world, looking in all of the wrong places to quench the longings of our heart. And dear Christian friends, the nails on that cross forced a bloody footprint so you would know that the sacrifice was made greater than just some water gushing from a rock to quench thirst for a time was the water and blood that flowed from your Savior's side to prove that it was finished for good, for you, forever. Where do you see your Savior in this lesson still today? So that you would know that this forgiveness is for you. That your guilt has nothing to say when you stand before God. That Satan can accuse you no longer. And that not even death can have its hold on you. God still stands before you in his word. His words of promise and peace to forgive you and encourage you 
and to show you that your name is a child of God. Even this very day, he gives you the very things that he used to forgive you of all your sins and save you for eternity. His very body and blood in his supper that is unlike anything else in this world. I don't know what God has in store for you today or tomorrow. It might be like a glass half empty kind of situation. It, it might be a glass half full or brimming over. But what I do know is that God who may not have given you all that you think that you need today, he knows what you need for tomorrow. Remember what he did for these people. He cared for every single step that led his people ultimately to that promised land. And God has that in store for you as well, for you are his dear child. So tomorrow, he might give you more. Later on, he might not. He might cause blessings to come out of nowhere. I don't know, like water gushing from a rock. It wouldn't be the first time. I would dare say it might not even be the last. But the God of heaven who knows you and has chosen you and claimed you as his own has every single step of yours at heart. And when you, by faith, look beyond and beside and behind all of the reality in front of you, no matter how empty or full it may seem, then, my friends, you can see the greater reality. You can see God in control of it all for your good. And since he has given you every eternal blessing that cannot be taken from you and does quench the longing of your hearts, then, dear Christian, when your focus is on him in faith, then you will thirst no more. May God grant that to you all. Amen.